Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. All of us will wait for something sometime. At least that's what the great theologian Dr. Seuss tells us. He said that everyone is just waiting, waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting, waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig of curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. Every week that we gather here and worship with one another in this community of faith that we call a family, I promise you, somebody's waiting. Somebody here is waiting for a diagnosis and somebody else is waiting for a treatment plan and somebody else is waiting for a cure. Some are here waiting for a resolution to a problem or restitution for an injustice. Some of us are waiting for repair to a relationship because somewhere somebody did a thing and they didn't own it and they never apologized or maybe it was you who did the thing and you did own it and you did apologize but the wound was so deep that they're not ready yet and they haven't forgiven yet and so you wait and wait and wait and it is easy and human to become weary in your waiting and I I know that somebody is here or somebody is now in this moment almost ready to give up. And as your pastor and brother in the faith and co-sojourner in the wait, I beg you to not give up yet. Because if you give me just a moment or two this morning, I want to talk to you about why the wait is where it happens. The wait is where it happens. 
But in order to understand what I'm talking about or to experience the reality that the weight is where it happens, I've got to talk to you about three things today. We've got to talk about thresholds, waiting rooms, and letting the weight do the work. Thresholds, waiting rooms, and letting the weight do the work. First, thresholds. So not long ago, I learned the etymology, the history, the origin of the word threshold. It comes from the medieval ages or the middle ages, the medieval times, where you would have in your home a room designated for threshing. It's where you brought the weed and you would separate the shaft from the grain and it was messy and dirty work and it was necessary to have a a kind of platform, a wooden fixture that separated the threshing room from the room where you lived and you abided with your family. There was a threshold to separate the two spaces. A threshold is a kind of in-between kind of thing. And you and I have a new word that we've been using a lot lately, especially since the pandemic. We call this word liminal. Liminal is from the Latin lemon, meaning threshold. It is literally the space between spaces. That's what liminal is. And we go through seasons in life that are liminal seasons. Seasons that are between something that has already happened and something that has not yet come. And we say it this way. We, we say we sometimes live between the already and the not yet, that's liminal, that's thresholding. It's the experience of a couple who is now pregnant. They have already gotten pregnant, but they have not yet given birth. You notice I say they as if that's really how that works, you know. But there's another couple who struggles with infertility issues and they have already sought treatment and guidance and options and yet they have not yet gotten pregnant. It's liminal. It's a space between the spaces. It's the experience of a little girl who is no longer a little girl anymore in very real ways. She is now a woman. She has already become a woman, but she's not yet fully ready to take on the full mantle of womanhood. And so she'll argue with mom and dad, don't treat me like a child anymore. Don't talk to me like I'm a kid. I'm not a kid anymore. And yet at the same time, she will find a strange sense of comfort by crawling up in mom and dad's bed like she did when she was four. She's already not a little girl, but she's not yet adulting. See, it's the experience of a retiree who has already had the going away party and gotten the, the golden watch, but has not yet figured out what this new rhythm looks like and feels like. It's, it's a space between spaces. It's a thresholding season. Not long ago during the pandemic, in fact, in the throes of the pandemic, during the quarantine, you may remember, I preached a series of sermons called Liminal Seasons, Living Between the Already and the Not Yet. I refer you to that on our website, in fact, if you are going through an in-between time, I recommend that you, you consider those words that were spoken long ago. Because the truth is, 
The Bible is crammed with example after example of liminal space, of threshold seasons in life. It's, it's Noah. The rain has already come. But the floods have not yet abated. And he floats there on the abyss of the in-between. It's Abraham and Sarah. They've already received the promise of God, but they have not yet seen the baby being born. It's Moses. He's already been exiled from Egypt, but he's not yet returned to liberate his own people. It's David. He's already been anointed, but he's not yet king. It's Ruth. She's already left her own home and land, but not yet met Boaz. And it's not just all these individuals who show us a human reality about living in the space between the space. It's the themes of the Bible. A serious study of Scripture recognizes not just the individual stories, episodic moments that tell the truth, but we, we back up a bit and we see the sweeping themes. And every time in Scripture you see wilderness, desert, pits, graves, the bellies of beasts, the bellies of fishes, exile, pilgrimage. All of these are attempting to tell you the truth about a reality in this journey, and that is we are always moving between the already and the not yet. And we could even go a step further. You back the camera angle up and look at the wide-angle lens of the Scripture, and you recognize this whole thing begins in a garden. Where there's a tree and rivers that water the tree and humankind abides with one another in kind of a perfect union, a holy solidarity, a kind of shalom with one another and with God. And at the end of the book, when the new creation comes and a new heaven and a new earth are established, we find that there will be a tree with a river of life to water it. And all of humankind from all nations will be in solidarity and in shalom with one another and with God. And in between the already of a garden that was and the not yet of that which is to come, we live the threshold experience of humanity. And then right in the middle of the book, there's this baby that gets born. And this baby grows up to talk about a kingdom that's coming and is already breaking in. And they follow him in masses because he speaks the truth with authority. They crucify him and he is risen from the dead. And the first place he is recognized as the risen Lord is in the middle of, wait for it, a garden. What's the point? The point is that all of life is threshold. And we live with the illusion of conclusion that just as soon as I get out of this season, well, everything will be just fine. I will be on the other side of the thing that I have been anguishing to get through. But it's the illusion of conclusion. There are always thresholds ahead. But maybe, maybe that's the point. Rohr says this about thresholds and liminal space. He says, liminal space is a unique spiritual position where human beings hate to be but the biblical God is always leading them all transformation takes place here we have to allow ourselves to be drawn out of business as usual and remain patiently on the threshold where we are between and betwixt the familiar and the completely unknown 
There alone is our old world left behind while we are not yet sure of the new existence. That's a good space where genuine newness can begin. Get there often and stay as long as you can by whatever means possible. It's the realm where God can best get at us because our false certitudes are finally out of the way. This is a sacred space where the old world falls apart and a bigger world is revealed. If we don't encounter liminal space in our lives, we start idealizing normalcy. Do you know what that means? I had a grandmother who said, what is normal? My grandmother said, normal is a, it's a setting on your dryer. If we idealize normalcy, we never are transformed by anything. The threshold, watch this, is God's waiting room. Where we are taught openness and patience and we come to expect an appointment with the divine doctor. Beloved, if you are in a waiting room, if you are in a threshold season, if you're somehow between the already of something and the not yet of the other thing, maybe that's exactly where the encounter with the divine doctor is meant to take place. We resist waiting with a fierceness of being. We resist waiting and seasons of liminality and in-betweenness with a fierceness we do because we think. We think that waiting means that somehow life is on hold because we're no longer in what's familiar and we're not yet in the new thing. We assume that waiting or the liminal space is somehow a holding pattern where nothing is going on and nothing could be further from the truth. That's why for just a moment in the reality of our threshold life, I want to talk for just a moment about waiting rooms. Waiting rooms. Nobody likes waiting rooms. I mean, no waiting room I've ever been in was a joy to be in. Waiting rooms are, you know, they're uncomfortable. The seats are uncomfortable. The magazines are like outdated Reader's Digest volumes. The TV is always just a little bit too loud. And strangely enough, it's always on some kind of home improvement channel. Do you notice this? And the paperwork that you have to fill out, you know you filled it out last time, but they make you fill it out every time you go. No, nobody likes waiting rooms. I remember when the boys were really small and we had to take them to the doctor, take them for an appointment with their pediatrician. And we, we would go at times during seasons when there was a waiting room divided between sick and well. And anytime the boys had some kind of a slurpy snotty mess going on inside their system we'd walk them in there and we have to go sit in the sick side and it felt as if we were in a leper colony i mean if you weren't sick when you went in you knew you were leaving with some form of leprosy it was a guarantee nobody nobody likes waiting rooms but i i want to tell you about one that changed the trajectory of my life. So if you've been around long enough, you know by now that I had a brother 
Younger brother, he died when he was 25. But the dominant theme of our childhood is that Toby was always dying. From the second hour after his birth and a first major operation to every year of his life, there was something going on. I spent more time in hospital rooms and hospital corridors and hospital waiting rooms than you could possibly imagine. I was blessed because I had a father who had a job, but he had to work that job to get paid. And I had a mother who was a good mother and wouldn't leave your side if you were sick. So as often as he was sick and my mother would be faithfully by her, his side in the hospital, there were times that I've been blessed because I've got a family who let me sleep at this house one day in a different house the other, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, for a, a good part of my childhood. And a good part of that childhood was spent in some waiting rooms. There was one waiting room in particular that I remember with vivid clarity. It was the Children's Hospital of Chattanooga. And and just inside the main entranceway of the hospital was a waiting room just off to the left. It was interesting because The hospital had brand new technology. Did you know that in the early 70s, they would put a piece of rubber mat in front of a door, and if you stepped on it, the doors would automatically open. Ah. And just inside to the left was the first waiting room. And there were times when I would be there with a family member, but many times when I would be there in between drop-off and pick-up. And my mother would have to be upstairs with my brother, and and my, my father may be coming later to pick up, or a cousin or aunt or somebody. But it's okay because that was a different time and we looked after other people's kids, didn't we? And there were nurses nearby, always. Nurses are the angels of God among us. And they paid attention, but I would be there in the room for a while, several times on end. And the room had this closed circuit television camera because Upstairs in the rooms with the children who were sick or recovering from surgery, they could turn it on a particular channel and see their big brother, big sister in black and white with no sound, waving, making faces, doing silly things. It's as close as we sometimes could get. And I remember in that room experiencing feelings that I did not have the words to use to describe that only now I know were fear, confusion, loneliness, and some more fear. But in the corner of that room, there was a box of toys and I would play with them like they were my own every time I would go. In fact, I played with them so often that when I came in and other kids were playing with them, I thought, how dare they have the audacity to play with my toys? And I would play with the toys. And inside the box, there was always this one book, this one book, and it was big and thick, and it was blue, had a thick blue cover on it. And on the, on the, on the front of it, it had letters in yellow, Bible stories. I was five, six, seven, 
And I would thumb through the, the pages of that book again and again and again. And so then I would learn to turn down the edges and pick it back up when I got back the next time so I would remember my favorite pages because this book told about this, this man who made lonely people not lonely. And there were pictures of this man who made people who were afraid no longer afraid. And if I closed my eyes, I could remember the look on the faces of disciples in a boat where there was a storm. And I could remember this man would lift his hand and the storms would stop and they were no longer uh, confused or afraid. And um, there was something about this man. And it would be several years before I would have the words to articulate my desire to give my life to him. And it would be a few years after that before I would understand that the whole time, the whole time God was preparing me to become a pastor. But if you were to ask me when the first time I met Jesus... It was there. He was waiting on me in the waiting room. In the place where I had no control and I had no idea what was ahead. And I, I was afraid as a kid and I can tell you as a five-year-old and now again as a 51-year-old. Nobody. Nobody. Can meet you like Jesus. Jesus. But the thing about it is he usually shows up in the waiting room of your life. Not when you've got it all together and you've got the next step lined out, charted out, coursed out for your life. He usually shows up most recognizably when you have no idea what's next and you don't know how long it will be. He shows up in the in the waiting room, the space between spaces. So I know why the psalmist would say, God is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth quake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam at its tumult, though the mountains tremble. I, I know why. And it's, it's because our greatest transformation, beloved, our greatest transformation comes in those uncomfortable, undesirable waiting rooms of life where God has been waiting to be seen by us the whole time. We think that we spend a great part of our lives waiting to see God, but God is always Emmanuel with us, waiting to be seen by us. Never despise the waiting room season. Our greatest transformation occurs in the unwanted, uncomfortable, lonely waiting rooms of life where we encounter the God who is always waiting to be seen by us. And that is why i got to talk to you about letting the weight do the work. 
Letting the weight do the work. Now, last week I read a passage of scripture that is the theme of this entire series. It's from James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. It has been said, when you are suffering, when you're going through the trial, when you're in the waiting season of life, don't let go of your suffering until you've learned what it has to teach you. Are you in a season in which the suffering you are experiencing is attempting to teach you something? Now, let me be very, very clear. I don't believe that God behaves in this kind of way to force us into an experience in order to teach us something. I don't. But I believe that life forces us into situations where we, to our overwhelming surprise, find that God is there with us, attempting to teach us something in the heart of the suffering. So don't Let go of your suffering until you've learned what it has to teach you. It's much like the silversmith who forges the silver in the fire. The silversmith knows that the fire has to be hot enough and has to burn hot enough for the the dross, the impurities in the metal to be drawn to the surface and to fall out into the fire. But the silversmith also knows not to leave you in too long so as to ruin the metal. The moment that the silversmith knows that you've been in the fire long enough is when the silversmith can look at the metal and see his own reflection in the metal. If you're in a season of purifying, understand that all the dross that's being drawn out in you is making you degree by degree more and more in the very image of the suffering Christ who overcame death through resurrection. Yeah. But don't take my word for it. Take Isaiah's word for it. For they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And if Isaiah is not enough for you, take the words of Habakkuk. The Lord says to Habakkuk, but these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, don't despair. For the things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue by a single day. And if you don't take the word of Habakkuk, take the word of Paul, who in the fifth chapter of Romans says, there is more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop, watch this, passionate patience in us. And how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. 
in alert expectancy such as this. We're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. I know that it is no walk in the park to learn the patience necessary to make this life. To make it through the journey of this life. I know. That's why patience is known as a, a fruit of the Spirit. Patience grows out of the Spirit abiding in us. But I think I, I think I, patience is a soft word. It's kind of a domesticated word. I prefer the King James use of the word for patience. Remember that? Long-suffering. The word long-suffering means the same, but it tells the truth better. Sometimes in the long-suffering seasons of liminality between the already and the not yet, that is where we see the face of God. Maybe you're here today and, and you've been looking for that level of comfort and, and you can't find it. You don't know where to look and you've been hoping to go back where you were before or hoping to fast forward your way through this in-between season. But I'm here to tell you it's, it's closer than you think. Maybe it's time today for you to pray a prayer this honest. Lord, I am lost. And I don't know how to take control over my life. I don't, I don't have any clever answers. I don't know a, an easy pass out of the season. But everywhere I look, everyone says to me that you are Emmanuel, Emmanuel, the God who is with us. So here I am. Show me. I ask that you would take my heart that is in tumult, my heart that is in turmoil, my heart that is confused and full of fear and anger and impatience. I pray that you would take my heart and forgive me for all of my wayward ways. But forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for the ways that I attempt to rush right past you in order to somehow find you elsewhere. Forgive me. Take my heart and make me whole. And I will follow you wherever it is that you lead. I will be yours and you will be mine. 